Hello, delegates in Kenya. I uh, hope you're enjoying Kenya and enjoying the workshop. My name is Victor Duga. I'm of the Federal University in Lafia in Nigeria. And in this session, I'll be talking about ethics in advancement operations. Uh, of course, uh, basically how ethics would support advancement operation. And the reason for this session is that institutions that are involved in fundraising often find themselves in moral and ethical dilemmas. And uh, there has to be some code for operating sensitive data, for accepting donations, uh, for reaching out to prospects. Uh, you know, and for this, we look to uh, case. And the insight for the case for support for education is often undermined by issues of ethics because it becomes a minefield where issues of reputation of the institution, uh, you know, are called to question. Um, so I'll give you some real-life case studies from around the world in discussing ethics uh, in supporting advancement operations. Now, we start with the moral and ethical dilemma that the world is going through right now. Uh, we're living in a world where uh, you know, the concepts of morality and ethics are fast fading away. I mean, this is the time where terrorism and violence, uh, you know, is a household, uh, you know, image across the world. And you can watch violence real time. You can watch terrorism real time. You can watch people behave, beheading, uh, you know, innocent people, uh, hostages, you know, real time on the Internet or over the television. Uh, the rise of Boko Haram, you know, and the, 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 the kidnapping of girls, you could see all around the place. You could also, you know, watch the lynching of the Ghanaian soldier over the Internet. Uh, the reason for this is that there is a democratized space, and there's no single definition of what is right or wrong, and people just want to do things that they want to do. Uh, so the concern for the future is that educational institutions, you know, as the beacons of, uh, you know, of light have to defend ethics in society. And this is where we, we come in. Of course, you know that advancement, as you would have already heard during the workshop, uh, is people giving money to people. They don't just give to institutions. They give money to people. And people give money because uh, they want to. They give money because they are asked. People give money because... Uh, they know the people they're given to. They give to opportunities, not to the needs of the institution. Uh, people give to success, not to distress. Uh, they won't give you money because, uh, you know, you are in their need. And, of course, people give money to make a change for good. And that is your beautiful uh, uh, presentation, your beautiful uh, philanthropic circle right there, from identifying, informing, making aware, sharing knowledge, getting people to care, getting them to be involved, getting them to commit, and then, of course, you doing stewardship, and that circle goes on and on. So people don't give to organizations that have needs, but they give to organizations that meet needs. This is from Case Sprinkle Grace, and you need to bear this in mind as we talk about ethics. You are meeting needs, and this is why people give you their resources. So let's talk about morals and ethics 
Uh, morals, of course, by dictionary definition, the Oxford English Dictionary tells us that morals is of or pertaining to character or disposition, or of or pertaining to the distinction between right and wrong, between good and evil, in relation to actions and volitions. And so this is about right and wrong. Now, if you think something is right, someone might think that same thing is wrong. So this is where we need ethics. And ethics refers to the science of morals, uh, the science of human duty, and this human duty is important in its widest extent, including, besides ethics proper, the science of law, whether civil, political, or international. So ethics have to do a little bit with law. And in that sense, we can say ethics is uh, human duty, the body of values or the duty drawn from this science, uh, particularly a system of principles and rules concerning duty, whether it's true or false, the rules of practice in respect to a single class of human actions as political or social ethics or medical ethics. This is from Webster Dictionary. And in our own case, we can talk of philanthropic ethics. Ethics differs from or differ from law because laws are a set of regulations that must be complied with. And unlike ethics, they are not subject to individual values. The law makes a case and everybody lines up to it. But ethics are a bit of a movable fist. Each individual and organization has its own set of ethical principles which may differ markedly from each other, and I dare say from society to society. So what is regarded as ethical is down to the society or to the organization and the individual within that society. And for higher education in Africa, around the world, let me say, uh, but we are very uh, you know, close to this, we know of plagiarism. It's academic fraud and it's not tolerated. I think people will generally agree with this as moral and ethical challenges that we face. There are unethical conducts also, say awarding honorary degrees for money. That's very unethical. You're virtually selling the degree whether you want to admit it or not. And the degree loses its value. The honor in the honorary degree is removed and this is quite unethical. Uh, so. Uh, where the moral and ethical challenge lies also is that there are no clearly defined boundaries of what is wrong or right. And we will see that shortly. And why should anyone in advancement be concerned about this? We should be concerned about this because it affects how we raise funds, which donors we ask and accept gifts from, you know, and we the fundraisers ourselves. The, ethical codes that drive us, that motivate us, and how we go about doing what we do. It also affects how the gifts are spent and how these gifts are accounted for. And let's look at some ethical dimensions of uh, fundraising or philanthropy. You know, if you participate or you benefit in wrongdoing, that is a great concern to philanthropy in general, and of course it affects your institution. If you grant someone special treatment uh, before getting a gift or after getting a gift, 
uh, then it's no longer philanthropy. You probably are selling some favor or the special treatment for the resources that you get. If there's any give that impairs your judgment uh, as an institution or as an individual, then it's, uh, it has lost the value of philanthropy. Uh, if you, there's any gift that will bring you personal enrichment, then the philanthropic component is uh, called to question. And of course, the ethics of uh, receiving gifts. How much is the kind of gift you could receive from an individual that probably is living above his means? And of course, there's the intergenerational uh, equity. Today, we live in a society where you know, younger people uh, can make more money than people in their previous generation. Uh, and so uh, you could be tempted to do a lot of things that would, you know, hinder or damage the reputation of the uh, institution. So you have to think about that. Uh, there are many more you could think about in your own context. But let's go on to talk about some few examples. Uh, you will remember that uh, Saif al-Islam, the son of Muammar Gaddafi, uh, gave a 1.5 million uh, pound donation to the London School of Economics in 2009. And that money was meant for international research. And it was well celebrated. In fact, for the institution to receive that money, all but one member of the university council voted to accept it. So it was a popular gift when it came. But from March 2011, the uprising in Libya, you know, was widely supported by the Western Bloc. So anyone that did business with Gaddafi became, you know, an outcast. And there was, of course, uh, outcry in the UK press. And um, it was such a damaging, uh, you know, gift just within the space of three years that Sir Howard Davis, the director of LSE, had to resign. Uh, you know, people lost their jobs in that process. And I think it dented the uh, reputation of uh, uh, London School of Economics. Uh, following this, case hurriedly developed a revised set of guidelines concerning gifts. And we'll be talking about this towards the end of our presentation. A uh, uh, second uh, example is Widely practiced, I've seen this happen in Nigeria in some institutions that have access to uh, oil companies uh, where agents are employed to raise funds and the agency is paid a percentage of funds raised as its commission. And now uh, you could say as an act of morality that what matters is that funds are being raised. But this is not about funds being raised. Once commission is being taken, the donor might not know that this agent is going to be paid a percentage of that. And if the donor knows, will he still or he or she still give that donation to your institution? If it will not be given, then you're not being honest and truthful about that. And secondly, um, people converse that advancement staff or, as a matter of fact, anybody in the university can go and raise funds for the institution. And when you do that, bonuses will be paid to you depending on how much you raise either at the end of the year or a percentage of the funds that you bring. Or 
Some might even want to pay that out of the university's advancement budget. Now, the case principles for philanthropy says that any bonus that you receive from philanthropic donation is no longer philanthropy because you're getting paid for what you're doing. In that, it's a commission and it's no longer philanthropy. So this is not professional, it's not ethical, and this should strictly be avoided. Now, the third example that I want to bring is when donations will come from dubious sources. I mean, all over the world, there are individuals who became rich through immoral or unethical means, you know, and therefore attempt to launder their image through philanthropic donations. Now they've made the money, they have access to lots of money, and they want to, uh, you know, just get uh, some good name out of it. Maybe their conscience haunts them and they want to do that. Uh, and often, uh, the money or the project is accepted. And sometimes we just say, well, it's stolen government money coming back to a government institution. Uh, what's wrong with that? Or if we don't take it, someone else will. So why don't we take it? Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, it might not be government money. Sometimes it could actually be exploitation of laborers. You know, the controversy, historical controversy with Andrew Carnegie, one of the famous uh, global philanthropists today, um, who at the time he died in 1919, gave out 350 million US dollars and has given much more in billions actually since his death. But his business was built out of uh, steel industry that provided the railway uh, in the US. And it, it was said that his workers were well exploited. So should we take money from Andrew Carnegie Foundation or shouldn't we take? These are ethical concerns that we have to live with. And this discussion has to be done within the institution. Fourthly and finally, the example I'll bring is even in the office where we do database management, the information that is collected and stored, you know, in the database of the institution is governed by information privacy laws, whether you know it or not. If you get information from someone and store on your database, there is a right way of handling the information. There is a wrong way of handling the information. Uh, the challenge of data management, that is the collection and the dissemination of that information, uh, is therefore one that we ought to be aware of. The privacy to utilize the data while protecting the individual's private, uh, preferences should be respected. Sometimes someone may not even know the information you have on your database. So should you release that to just anybody? Or sometimes you discuss with a prospect and you glean some private information about their health, their family. Should that be passed on to someone else? No, it shouldn't. It should be in the institution's database, but used only to be able to understand and to plan and, uh, you know, direct activities in cultivating such an individual, you know. And that brings us to the question of how should you obtain your data? Should you pay someone to go sneak into someone's uh, place and get some information for you, or should you sneak in on their friends and pay them for private conversations and information, that is highly unethical. 
there are open places you can get information. You can also get information directly. Uh, if people are able to give you information, you know that they want you to know. Uh, the other part is where do you also keep the data? Do you keep the data in uh, a place where others can access? Who has access to the data within the database? I mean, anyone can come and for every reason access that data. And that's why there has to be restriction on who is able to access this information. If they don't need to have that data or have access to it, then they don't need to be given access to it. Now, in advancement, we have a high t turnover of staff. People leave their positions, leave their institutions. Um, so should a staff leaving his or her position of managing the database or accessing the database in institution A have or retain access to the data collected in the previous position? Um, the idea here is that when you leave the institution or you're no longer in the role, that that data is useful for the institution, you ought to relinquish your access to that data or the power to use that data. Now it goes further. When you have relationships with prospects and you've moved from that institution or from that position to another, should you keep that relationship with those individuals as though nothing has happened or you use it for the benefit of your next position? Uh, this is an ethical position that you know, uh, comes from the fact that institutional advancement is that you're doing everything you're doing on behalf of the institution. So if you move away, you have to redefine every relationship. You're no longer building this relationship with this institution or for this institution. Therefore, you must distance yourself from the relationships that you build from that institution. And hopefully, anyone replacing you in that position comes to look at the database and begins to work or rebuild a relationship or take it from where you stopped. And if you continue that relationship, it will appear a bit immoral that you are holding on to things that you were doing in that institution and not allowing the people who are there now to continue from where you stopped. So as we conclude, I want us to look towards uh, the case statement of ethics and advancement. Now, this was first approved in 2005, revised a bit in 2011. And there are 10 uh, uh, statements, actually, that we should uh, consider where uh, these statements of ethics are concerned. And these are supposed to be guides for colleges, universities, and schools, and even affecting the larger society. So as institutional advancement prof professionals, uh, we have a special duty to exemplify the qualities of our institutions and to observe the highest standards of personal professional conduct. In so doing, we promote the merits of our institution, of education generally, and without disparaging other colleges and schools. So you don't go saying bad things about other colleges so that your institution will go forward. You, you're supposed to have a case uh, uh, for support that describes what your institution is and why people should support your institution. 
So our words, our action embody respect for truth, for fairness, for free inquiry, and respect the opinion of others. Of course, we respect all individuals without regard to race, color, sex, sexual orientation, marital status, creed, ethnic or national handicap, or age qualities. So um, this is important that we are, philanthropy is a combination of the words uh, philos, love, and anthropology, anthropos, where we get the word anthropology. So it's love for humanity. And therefore, we must have that love for humanity uh, at the uh, peak of everything that we do. And because of this, we uphold the professional reputation of other staff. We give credit for their ideas, for their words, for the images that they originate. Uh, like this presentation I'm having, uh, I have benefited from the presentation of others, from Roger Marcangiola and, and, and from uh, uh, some other people in case. We also safeguard the privacy and rights, uh, privacy rights and confidential information that we receive. We don't go about disclosing all that we hear or we see. We do not grant or accept favors for personal gain, nor do we solicit and accept favors for our institutions where a higher public interest will be violated. So we're not just thinking about our institutions, we're thinking about the society as well. So we avoid actual or apparent conflict of interest. And if in doubt, we seek guidance from appropriate authorities. We don't claim to be the final authorities. We bring this back. This is a moral dilemma. And we discuss and subject it to clear uh, uh, values. If there are errors, as happened in the case of the London School of Economics, let the institution be able to bear the blame. Let the institution, as the Council of LSE did be able to take the blame for failing in its moral judgment rather than in the individual in the advancement office. We also follow the letter and the spirit of laws and regulations affecting institutional advancement. If we sign a contract, we abide by the terms of the contract. Uh, if our uh, acts or governing uh, laws specify things, we stick to them. The laws of the nation, we stick to them. We also observe these standards and others that apply to our professions and actively encourage colleagues to join uh, us in supporting the highest standards of conduct. This is important. We are not just fundraisers. We are also uh, advocates of uh, that. So these are the uh, 10 uh, ethical guidelines that were developed in 2011 that universities seek philanthropic support, which is aligned with their values, their strategic goals, and financial needs as legitimate, sustained, and vital component of their income. So if it falls short of this, we're already going overboard as far as case ethical guidelines are concerned. Number two, ethical guidelines for the acceptance of such gifts in any institution should be available in the public domain. That means institutions should develop ethical guidelines and they should also make it available. So people who want to give gifts will have access to this and right away know whether or not this, their gifts will be accepted. Number three, impartial independent research, scholarship and teaching are the basis for the furtherance of knowledge. 
And universities should not accept philanthropic gifts if this is not clearly understood and accepted by all parties. So if our independence, our impartiality, if our objective scholarship and teaching will be, you know, uh, biased, will be uh, tainted, then we should not accept such philanthropic uh, gifts. Number four, universities are charitable bodies and must observe the requirements of charity law and other relevant legislation in relation to the receipt and expenditure of funds. The ultimate responsibility regarding the acceptance and refusal of donations, of course, rests with the governing body of each university. So we are not the final authority. Where we have a dilemma, it has to go to the highest governing body of the institution. Number five, where the authority for the acceptance of donation is delegated to the vice chancellor, as it is in most cases, or other senior academic, academics or officers, that authority should be explicit and the responsibility of those accepting gifts to implement the institution's detailed ethical policies and procedures on donations must be clearly understood and consistently applied. So you don't have one law today or one rule today and tomorrow you shift the goalpost and do something else. Number six, universities should take all reasonable steps to ensure that they are aware of the source of funding for each gift and have processes in place to satisfy themselves that the funds do not derive from activity that was or is illegal or runs contrary uh, counter to the core values of impartial independent research scholarship and teaching seven discussions of potential donors that are likely to give rise to significant public interest or which raise complex questions with regard to acceptability should be considered at the earliest stage possible by the appropriate decision makers who should be fully informed of the purpose and the background of the donation and the source of funds. This should not be left to when the money is on the table or the check is on the table and then you begin to discuss moral considerations. That might be too late. Number eight, the legal and reputational rights of potential donors should also be considered as part of due diligence undertaken in assessing the acceptability of a proposed donation. In this regard, a clear distinction should be drawn between rumor or speculation and matters of confirmed fact or legal finding, while also accepting that institutions may wish to consider the reputational risk that could be incurred through public perception of any particular donor. Now, I've had situations where people say, well, this person is speculated to be, uh, to have laundered money from a certain source or stolen government money, as we often hear in Nigeria. And someone would say, well, he's never been convicted by a court of law. So you have to discuss as an institution, because when you take the money and the person is convicted, uh, no one is going to say you were not aware or you played the ostrich. So there has to be elaborate discussions, if possible, with the potential donors before this is done. Number nine, the donors must accept and for significant gifts as determined by individual institutions. They must sign appropriate gift agreements to confirm that the management and governance of programs funded through benefaction rest solely with the university. This is important so that uh, those that pay the piper will not dictate the tune. This is philanthropic gift, and it needs to give the power 
to manage the programs or the grants to the university. So individual institutions typically choose without undermining these core principles to offer donors opportunities for continuing engagement with the activities that they have funded. So they can be involved, they can be invited to witness activities and openings uh, without prejudice to how the program is run or managed. Universities should also employ their standard procedures relating to recruitment, admission, hiring, promotion, procurement, management, and governance for all research, teaching, outreach, capital development, or student scholarship programs funded by gifts. Lastly, universities should have procedures in place for reviewing and reconsidering previous decisions taken in good faith relating to the acceptance of gifts if subsequent events or subsequent availability of additional information require it. The response to such circumstances should be transparent and proportionate to particular circumstances that have arisen. And so we say today we might take a decision that we think is morally right, ethically correct, but if there is additional information tomorrow, the university should make sure that there is a procedure, there are processes in place to allow for a review so that some action could be taken to remedy anything that the institution may have done wrong in the past. This is a safety valve that the institution can always put up. Finally, in conclusion, I would like to say that it is important or it becomes important that every institution you know, develops written ethical policies and procedures on donation which will guide the action of people in the advancement office or within the university generally. This will help prospective donors. This will guide people in embarking on uh, cultivation activities as far as raising funds for the institution is concerned. If you have this ethical policy written down, debated and approved by the council, then this becomes a guiding document for your institution. And remember that only you can determine what is right or wrong for your institution. So it has to be debated and it has to be widely accepted. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you enjoy your stay and the other parts of this program. Thank you.